All right, and we are recording. Hey, hey, hey. Oh, <laughs> Aaron, how many shows have we done now? Uh, this is my first thing. That's why I wanted you to be on. I was going to say, you've, you've, this, it's your first show, and you've already run out of guests. No, my 13th. Oh, 13th? Yeah. So still, only th you've already run out of guests. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I'm, I'm getting desperate at this point. Yeah, well, I, uh, I'm happy to be the 13th. Uh, yeah, I am happy you're the 13th as well. So um, what are we going to talk about? I, uh, I have some sort of topics which we can... Uh, hey, I was on your show a while ago, except you never, you never published that one. Yeah, uh, difficult, technical difficulty. I stole your ideas, though. Yeah, it was, I think that was my first... I think that was my first podcast, the first podcast I was ever on. And I, I think I botched it. I, did, I, I, was happy you did, I, I was happy you never published it. I'll tell you what happened was uh, you and I had a, a discussion about uh, SegWit and it just took so long for me to get it up that it wasn't as relevant anymore. Uh, so I was like, well, I, you know, I, I took all of your ideas and I incorporated them into the show, but I didn't actually get the, the piece up where you and I talked about it because essentially what you were doing was clarifying a lot of the SegWit 2X for me because there was a big debate about the SegWit 2X and such. And it was very helpful, um, but ultimately was not timely by the time that I got to, you know, get it up. So that, that's what happened. It was, it was not meant as a slight. I was, I was happy about it. I think I, uh, oh, anyways, uh, yeah, I think I was botching it that time. I was, it, was, it was a heated debate, and it was sort of, I, w I think I was a bit nervous as well. Like, first time on a podcast, I didn't want to fuck up. You really did. I fucked up. No, no, no! You did great. Oh, you, you, had okay. a, you had a great presence. You did well. I was very happy with it. But uh, it was it was more my fault than yours. Uh, and it was just you know, but but I was happy to steal the ideas, like I said. So <laughs> thank you for that. I like but, your background. Oh yeah, you like it. We're doing Zoom meeting here, and uh, Zoom lets you do things in meetings. So I went nice. and I uh, I figured this is the destruction of the Earth. So I have asteroids exploding uh, in the background. Good. I'm in my bathroom because I'm interviewing John says, so I wanted to take the opportunity. That's very apropos. Uh, and you're, you're, I got to say, your sound quality is really excellent. Really? Yeah, ours is a little echoey. If you go watch the bathroom shows, uh, it was very, very echoey because, you know, it was a bathroom. <laughs> yeah, that's what happens. So usually I kind of start my shows by uh, just asking people what's going on in their region of the world. Now, I've had some people on from the States. You're the first one from Florida, though. You're in Miami, right? Yeah. Well, Fort Lauderdale, but it's the same thing. You want to start with that? What's going sure. on? Uh, well, right now, I, I, don't, I don't get a lot uh, farther than about 20 feet from my front door. I've been getting stir-crazy, so I've been driving around uh, the block every day a couple times, um, which has forced me to go and uh, occasionally get... Uh, I have a Tesla, so I go charge my car. And but other than that, uh, there's not a whole lot going on because everybody's inside down here. Are you are you are you locked inside or are you there voluntarily? Voluntarily. Uh, we're. I mean, the. I think the governor gave an order, but nobody's respecting it. So I mean, you can people are out on the the roads and such, but I don't see a lot of people like out and about, you know, talking to their neighbors or anything like that. There's no casual kind of conversation going on that I see. Yeah, but it's not like in Italy where you need a permit to be on the street or anything like That's that. True. Do they really? Yeah, you need a permit to be on the street in Italy. How now. do you get that permit? Um, 
I, I, I'm not clear on the details, although I think Mir explained it in, the, in my episode I did with her. I don't think it's necessarily very hard to get a permit, but you do need one. And then it, if the police asks for it, you need to show it and you need to have a reason. So the police are actually approaching people too, which seems, you know, dangerous. Yeah, and they're handing over the permits, which are full of viruses probably, like everyone's touching it. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of, I mean, the ways that each country is dealing with this are very interesting and they're very sort of specific to the country's feelings on like liberty, which I think is interesting from like a perspective, like a Bitcoin perspective where we have a lot of libertarians and uh, sort of freedom minded people, um, which I think is probably why like a lot of Bitcoin stuff is driven by Americans because we love that stuff. Uh, I I would agree. I also think, but I think there's a lot of uh, sort of the open source culture is big in Europe as well, and and yeah, Bitcoin yeah. is that, of course. So is that as well? So I think that's uh, more in the early days, right? Like early days of Bitcoin, I think were driven largely by like libertarians and Americans in particular. There were definitely people outside of America, but I just it, it seemed it seemed to me that like the libertarians and anarch the American anarchists really kind of like grabbed onto it. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. Like it's, it, it, I could be wrong, but that was just always my impression early on. Yeah, I mean, I, I, did, I agree with that. But like I said, I think the open source community is also a very big thing in Europe. And I think that that's also, there's a lot of overlap there as well. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. But yeah, it's, it's just interesting. Like in, in America, there's just a lot of things that the government can't do. I think that these uh, sort of stay inside orders are probably like tenuously legal. They're yeah. probably not a lot of teeth to them. I don't know that, that a governor or a cop could do much if you weren't obeying it. They're more like recommendations. Please do it. But people listen? Yeah, they seem to be. I mean, I think that everyone's pretty much distancing themselves. They're complying. Uh, there are moments where they don't. Uh, um, Americans have this sort of like, you know, realization a lot of times where like, well, if everybody's inside, then nobody's at the beach. And if nobody's at the beach, then I'll be at the beach. So, you know, you probably have some people at the beach. Uh, people are riding bikes. It's stuff I haven't seen in 10, 15 years in the U.S. People are, like, outside doing stuff. Right. Yeah, I see that a lot as well. A lot of people are cycling. A lot of people are jogging way more than usual. Freaking, like, just astounding to me right. that I'm looking at it. I'm looking at all these people outside doing things, and I'm like, oh, this is what I remember America being. What happened? <laughs> yeah. it's, it's amazing that this is sort of uh, that it's gone away and that I've forgotten that that was what it was like. Yeah, I guess because everyone's sort of obliged to stay at home more or less, then, you know, that's sort of the thing you can still do to kill your boredom or something. You just go for a jog. So I guess, I mean, when we were kids, we were all just bored. <laughs> yes, yeah, there was no internet, yeah. Uh, what is, um, what was my next question going to be? What is... Uh, what do, what, do you know what the health situation is like? Like, are hospitals being overrun in Florida? Or how bad is Florida hits? Yeah, there, there's, there's a lot of people. I mean, Florida's interesting because we get a lot of the cruise line stuff uh, coming down here. So, for example, a couple of weeks ago, I think Jackson Memorial, which is a hospital down the way, I think they were inundated with something like 36 patients, which apparently, I, I mean, I'm learning a lot myself. Apparently, 36 patients in a day at an ICU is a lot. Yeah, I so, think so. Yeah, and, and that and especially when it's above and beyond the capacity that is normal. So, you know, there's there's a lot of we have our normal capacity, but I think that a lot of people are staying away from hospitals. We had a situation here where uh, someone in my household had appendicitis right before all of this went down, and we had to go and you know to an, an ER, and nobody was there, zero people. 
Well, was he or she helped? Yeah, yeah, they, they were helped. And, oh, right. And, oh, you mean there were no patients? There were <laughs> hospital workers, but... Hospital yeah. workers were there, but no patients. Right, and I yeah. So I couldn't even do anything about it, but there was just no patience. And it was just, it was, it was kind of nice. I mean, it seemed like, uh, so it seems like people are staying out of the ER right now for elective stuff. They're only going for uh, stuff that's necessary, which is good. And uh, that kind of leaves the hospitals ready to, to deal with this. But I do think that there is, uh, there is a lot of activity down here. And I think that like, you know, a lot of people are very afraid of like running out of hospital beds. Yeah. I heard the same thing about doctors here. It's very quiet quiet at the doctor's office just no one wants to go right now it's going yeah it's, it's astounding i mean i thought that I, I thought we'd go in there and be like it'd be panic and chaos but nobody was there right just literally nobody so do you think uh what do you think about your government's response how is how is your government responding and do you think it's good bad florida government or national the yeah, state? Yeah. So i have a i have a bit of uh, i mean I, I think that the way that we are criticizing the federal government, I mean, it's it, uh, the federal government response is what it is, you know, but in America, we have this sort of, you know, multi-tiered, multi-pronged system. So if you think about it, the way like you're, you're in Europe, right? And yeah. Europe is like, they have, uh, you know, they have the, the zone, the European zone, if you will. Um, and then they have, you know, little countries. And if you, in the U.S., it's not so different, right? We have states, and then we have the federal government that kind of oversees it, whose law presides over the states. And in general, the states are somewhat sovereign. Like, there's a lot of things. The Constitution is sort of an agreement, a pact between all of the states, but all of the states have their own laws. All the states have their own constitution. So I've been kind of amazed at the fact that, you know, the instant that a crisis happens, all of the states instantly default to looking to the federal government. They don't expect to deal with it themselves, which really is supposed to be what happens. More than that, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering when the criticism is going to come of like hospitals for not having protective equipment stocked up. Uh, and, you know, I think there's going to be a lot that changes as a result of it. I think that individuals probably are going to start stocking up their own what are we calling it now? PPE, personal protective equipment. Uh, I think that hospitals will have a stock. I think states will probably never be caught with their pants down again. I think the federal government will never be caught with its pants down again. Uh, I, I just think that like this is highlighting a lot of things that should become culture within medicine anyways. Yeah, it appears to be culture in Asia. They, they had to learn the hard way and now I guess it's sort of our turn, right? Yeah, but I do think that there's been a lot of missteps. Like, I think the government telling us that masks don't work was, you know, such bullshit. And it was, I mean, it was obvious bullshit. If you could use your, your, your thinking cap for 12 seconds, yeah, uh, you would have thought to yourself, like, okay, it's bullshit, but we have to reserve them for medical personnel because they are protected. And like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Did they even change this position by now? Officially? Well, yeah. I mean, it was never the official position. The official position has always been that it works. Their stated position is that it didn't even work. So why buy it? Why bother? And it's a dumb position. It's obvious that it works. Yes. There's no question that it works. Yeah. Well, that is the official. If you if you go to the website of the Dutch CDC, basically, and their recommendations and like the Q and A, it says masks don't work. Like don't you know? It, it's not recommended. It's where, where did where did we get into this culture of like just utter uh, like like printing utter bullshit? Like if they don't work, then why wear them? Why do, is, why do hospital personnel need them? This is my main concern right now. We can talk about policy all day long. Like, what should be the policy? Should there be a lockdown? Should there not be a lockdown? Should there be... Like, we can talk about all day that all day long. But at the very, very, very fucking least, the, the government should be able to 
provide honest information for people that need it because they don't know where to look. They don't have all day to scroll the internet like I do. They right. should be given this honest information. That and the media, are, we expect generally to be the honest parties. And I think that we've seen such a dissolution of, uh, of institutions, both in this country and worldwide, particularly of the media apparatus. It's just gone. And we have such, like, it's just such utter bullshit, the things that they're telling us and, uh, and, and the, the expectation that we are going to believe them. I mean, why do you think we ran out of masks? Do you think it's because people believe the government? There seems to be a general lack of curiosity or just willingness to be critical of the, the official, um, what, what do I call it, the official party line of the government. That's what the media should be doing. That's what the media used to do. But right now they're just parroting, at least here, I'm, very, I'm a little bit shocked about the, the quality of it. In the U.S., the media is, uh, is different. Here we have two kinds of media. We have the media that is like pro-Trump and the right. media that does nothing but abreacts. So, like, you have, you have these two kinds of things. You know, the, the abreacting media spent a lot of time talking about the Chinese virus, and then the day that Trump called it the Chinese virus, they switched their line to that's racist. Right. And the pro-Trump media has nothing but, like, good things to say about everything, right? And that's, I mean, both are, both are not good for a healthy media ecosystem. And, I, you know, I think that that goes into the nature of what media is. I think we've watched the institution of media kind of become, uh, become a shit fest uh, over the years, probably starting somewhere, like, in Vietnam and uh, moving into, like, all the way into today. Media has become nothing but, you know, just... Uh, just complete bullshit but that said i don't buy into any sort of rhetoric about there ever being sort of a golden age of media media has always been run by people who are, are flawed and bad at their job and interested mm -hmm. in games for themselves yeah that's true of course but i do think there's a there's an additional problem just um monetization wise because it's gotten so hard to monetize media I think it's back in the I think back in the days people were more willing to pay for quality, while right now there's a stronger tendency to just want everything for free. So it, the, the you know clickbait does better, sensationalism does better. I I do think there's been a, a decline in quality. I've heard that theory, but I'm I don't really buy it. T to be honest, I think that there is a place in the world for someone who starts a giant endowment. Um, I, I think someone, sh if I were the Gates Foundation, that'd be something I would do, you know, a $10 billion endowment or something like that, that just keeps the presses running and pays people. Because I think that the way that media used to work is, is the, the, the news was a lost leader. And the thing that they made money on was the advertising and the, uh, particularly the classifieds, which Craigslist ruined. So Craigslist right. ruined the classified market. And advertising is a very different thing now. You look at like, uh, I mean, advertising is measured in what's called PPC, you know, uh, or, uh, you know, it's, it's a melee, a C CPM, sorry, cost per melee. So uh, per thousand people, what is, you know, what are you making? And CPMs have been dropping and, and uh, at least on the internet, they're very low. Although in recent years, they've gone way, way up. So, you know, you, you might now have a, a CPM online of like $23, $24, but that doesn't compare at all to what print used to be. Well, that's you my know. point. So why do you well, disagree with that? 
I, I don't disagree. I, I agree with your point uh, about media being difficult to finance. My point is that I think that media needs to be free. Uh, it needs to be s uh, separate from the advertising department, which it used to be when advertising was the moneymaker. It was fully separated. So you'd have editors that did not pay any attention to the ads necessarily. And you'd have advertisers that would just, you know, call and get ads. And it's, it, it somehow started to merge probably, you know, in the 90s, uh, maybe even a little earlier. And uh, that became a big problem because now, you know, essentially these editors are, are beholden to the needs of companies. And it's so bad in the U.S. at least that right now I see companies who literally will, the media companies will write an article with one uh, framing and then this, another article with the opposite framing. So they'll essentially have an article that says two opposite things, both on their website. Well, right. explain to me how that's media. Like, how is that? How is that media reporting anything? Honestly, you know. You you sent me a link a couple of days ago when we were discussing doing this podcast about a documentary called Hoaxed. Is yeah. That, it, did it tell me about this? Did this have anything to do in the context of the Corona thing or? Not at all. It was completely oh. different. So so uh, Michael Cernovich who everyone has very different opinions on, has done a couple of documentaries. And regardless of what you think about him, his documentary work is pretty good. And all it is essentially is a discussion of um, sort of the media landscape today and uh, how you know, media lies a lot, at least in the US. It's, it's very much uh, giving you sort of a, a look at the, United, the, the news in the US and how the apparatus works here. And you know, I, in my, my thinking is at some point, someone just needs to have a news agency that's run completely on uh, endowment dollars that has no need and no reason to be, uh, to be advertising, that doesn't make any money on advertising, spends 3% or whatever of its money on staff salaries and printing. Yeah, I think The Guardian maybe got close at, at one point, uh, I think. But let's get back to Corona. What do you, uh, I, I saw you tweet about that it might be over in two weeks. What's that yeah, about? So I, 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 uh, I'm, I'm really thinking, I, yeah, the reports that I'm hearing is that this hydroxychloroquine works. I'm really hoping that that is true. If it is, I think that we're going to start seeing a, a giant massive uh, cleaning up, if you will, of the current cases. It sounds like people get better in about five days. I don't know what our current capacity is on distributing it, but like if it works, um, I think that a huge, huge number of those people are going to get healthy pretty quickly. And I think that we, we get out of this much sooner than we think. Now, the other side of that is maybe we have capacity issues in terms of inventory and, and distribution of, of the uh, hydroxychloroquine. Maybe it doesn't actually work. I don't know. In which case, you know, we are massively fucked. And uh, there's going to be a long, drawn-out time where we're all inside and in our homes and the economy uh, continues to crater. So I'm, I'm hoping, uh, I'm hoping, and I, I think that the timeline I'm giving about two weeks, maybe it's three, I think that will be the time when we really know. So I'm, I, I give it a, you know, maybe a 20% chance that we are out of, out of this in two weeks and maybe a 30% chance that it's uh, slightly longer. Um, but, you know, it's sub 50-50. It's sub I think that there's a better chance that maybe we are fucked. So what does this depend on? Do you know? Like, how, what would it? De when? How do we get it into people's bodies? Basically. Well, I think a lot of doctors are the primary care doctors are actually prescribing. They're they're responsible for the first line of defense. So, like, when someone comes, says they think they have it, a lot of primary care doctors, I believe, are just giving them a prescription for hydroxychloroquine. That's allowed. Um, 
Yeah, yeah, it's it's now allowed. It used to, I mean, the CDC or the uh, FDA has approved it. It sounds like for what they're calling compassionate use. Mm. So it would just depend on getting enough, getting a, well, getting enough of the stuff. It's a question of supply, but as I understand it, it's actually fairly easy to make. Mm -hmm. So I think there, I think there's a big producer in the Netherlands. Actually, I saw that yep. on, the, on the news a couple of days ago. Well, that that that'd be great because at least it's not China. What so? What if it doesn't work? No. Uh, what do I want to get to first? Because I want to hear about China as well. Because I saw you ranting about China or not? Yeah, yeah. Well, I hate I hate them. Um, oh, if it doesn't work, uh, then then this is going to be long and drawn out, and we're going to have to start. I mean, like the beauty of it is is that there's a lot of people getting it, which is bad, but also it's good insofar as testing therapeutics because there's a lot of people that we can try things on, <laughs> like which, which is is a sad story. But it's also incidentally true. So, you know, there's a lot of people that we can try different uh, different medicines on and different therapeutics on. It sounds like they are like really fastly trying to uh, get a vaccine of some sort out. We'll see how that goes. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of things going on. A lot of this, what do they call it, plasma phoresis or whatever, that seems to be pretty effective uh, in helping patients. But as I understand it, from what I'm hearing, I'm hearing a lot of like side stories, particularly of people that know doctors and hospitals um, that are getting getting coronavirus and then taking hydroxychloroquine themselves because they don't have enough yet for patients and quickly recovering within two to three days. Okay, let, take, take it. let me rephrase my question. So this is basically a best case scenario. This hydrochloroquine stuff works. That's the best case scenario. Now I want to hear your worst case scenario. Uh, worst case scenario, this uh, dissipates a little bit in the summer, gives us a little bit of a breather, and then uh, somehow mutates to be much more uh, virulent and comes back in the fall as an inc like even more deadly virus. That one, I think, is mostly off the table, but like, let's give that a 2% chance. <laughs> like, what? That's worst case. And then, and then uh, 30 million people die. What about um, just looking at the markets, looking at the economy? Do, could you see some sort of economic collapse full-blown? I never believe in full-blown economic collapse because, I mean, governments, uh, there are governments that full-blown economic collapse, and what happens is they come back and they reissue some sort of currency, and, you know, it's, it's a lot of pain for maybe 10 to 15 years, but then, you know, they get back on their feet a little bit or mostly, and there's plenty of examples of that. I mean, America's pretty in a pretty good position because we have a lot of people that want to work. It's it's a lot different than, you know, France. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a lot of people in other countries that just don't like to work. And Americans it's it's our it's our goddamn identity. So it's hard it's hard to keep Americans down. Um, and that's that's one thing I love about this country. I mean, we are we are very prideful. We love our country, and that's one of the reasons we work our asses off. We enjoy it. Uh, there are some communists here. We don't like them, but for the most part, we like to work. And and so it's hard to keep us down. And like you know, the beauty of it is that right now, uh, I mean, this this is a good segue into the China stuff. China's been producing absolutely everything. Under the Clinton era, we started moving a lot. We started offshoring, you know, just huge amounts of the stuff we produced to China because it was cheap. And China has had a very, very cheap labor force. And incidentally, what's occurred is that over the years as China has grown, uh, they've essentially suppressed the cost of the labor because labor has to eventually go up as your country develops. 
So they've suppressed the cost of the labor. And as a result, uh, we've continually been able to get super cheap things from China. So that sounds nice. We as Americans have enjoyed the cheap uh, everything. We enjoy that our toilet paper and our little toy tin cars and everything else are, uh, are cheap as shit. We like that. But coronavirus is kind of uh, exposing this disgusting underbelly of it, which is that apparently there was an externality cost to doing business with China. And it's, it costs something like uh, two to three trillion dollars every 30 years or something like that. <laughs> Uh, or maybe more, maybe 12, maybe 12 to 20 trillion every 30 years. And if that's the cost uh, that we suddenly have to ingest, the question is, is that more costly? And are we willing to accept the sort of uh, probability and possibility of ruin that comes with something like a pandemic? Are we willing to accept that risk so that we can have cheaper tin cars that the Chinese occasionally taint with lead? Wait, um, I want to pull this apart just just to make sure I'm following you. If you weren't buying these cheap-ass tin cars from China, a pandemic could still or originate from China and spread across the world, no? I mean, in part, but like in large part, what happened here is that we, we enriched them. So they were able to build these cities and they were able to, uh, you know, con they were able to, uh, they did a lot of, let's say, farming and everything else, uh, which a lot of the stuff, the source of it is farming. I mean, like a lot of diseases are the result of the way that Chinese do, uh, do agriculture and they've, they do it very grossly. They keep a lot of their animals close together. And, um, but like a lot of this is an enrichment thing. We've, we've enriched them and they have done nothing to crack down on the things that they actually need to crack down on. Um, it, it's, it's a giant problem. They have these very, very, they have these cities that are enormous, close to everybody. Uh, there's an enormous amount of money that allows them to travel uh, in and out of China. Um, and apart from that, like there's a lot of, there's a different understanding in, in Chinese government, I think, with regard to like how they conduct warfare. So we have, on top of the fact that we've given them a lot of our strategic production, we've also got this sort of asymmetric warfare going, thing, going on where they, uh, they view that as like a strategic lever that they can negotiate with and essentially use to try uh, to position themselves better in a, uh, in a global situation. So I think all of that is really highly problematic. And I think that Americans for the first time have woken up to it. Your, your point is correct. Like you, it, it, there could be a pandemic without us doing business there, but you know, it's a little harder to for a pandemic to to cross borders when uh, when essentially a, an enemy of the state isn't is is not enriched and its people doesn't don't have tons of money that are able to fly around and move and be highly mobile et cetera et cetera. So no, not, if not Americans, impressed, but you know that's just the reality of it. So if Americans woke up to this, like you said, or maybe the world is waking up to this or let, let's assume what what would that mean you're going to move production back to america you think this is actually going to happen I, I think what will probably happen is that we find other places to produce there will probably be a lot of production that started up in places like malaysia uh india maybe i mean india is not great either but like at least they're not our enemy um but you know malaysia and smaller countries maybe uh, Vietnam, uh, countries that, you know, about China and, and that don't have such great situations necessarily. But I think, yeah, a lot of production is probably going to come back and be on short. That would mean uh, a big 
geopolitical shift as well, probably. That, that oh, wouldn't be good for China, for sure. The CCP. But that's what has to happen. I mean, I think what has to happen is America basically needs to put a lean on the Chinese government. This is what my tweet was about today. I hate, I, you know, I think, that, I think the American government basically should do like a, re, a reverse treasury and say like we've printed or we've, we've basically printed $13 trillion. Um, but, you know, instead of, instead of selling treasuries, we just assume that China is going to pay this money back. They owe us that. And then, uh, and then start saying, like, anytime you're in a negotiation, let me say, like, okay, but, like, you have this big debt with us that you owe. So, like, how are you going to pay that? And uh, start lever le le levering tariffs. Yeah. In general, you think uh, the Chinese government is to blame also for this specific pandemic and how it spread at first? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think there's any question. I mean, they, they, they put a lid on it. They didn't ask for help. They misled the WHO, uh, who seems to be somewhat in their pocket. Um, there's, there's just a lot of things that happened that, you know, Chinese, uh, dissidents, they're, they're, they're arresting people, essentially disappearing them for speaking up against the government and, and including, uh, revealing the presence of the pandemic. Like there, there's just, there's a lot of things like, I mean, people like to blame the government, for example, for not having re-opt its, uh, its strategic supplies of like a lot of PPE. Well, that's fine, but that's been happening for a lot of years. And the reason is, is because like, you don't know when a pandemic is going to happen. They're, they're rare, right? And you have like a few here and there that occur, um, you know, MERS and SARS most recently, but those things, they petered out they, really quickly. They didn't go very far. So they so kind of, sorry. Yeah, so the, the counter argument at least would be that at, at least after the initial cover-up or whatever happened there or whatever you want to call it exactly, at least then they stepped up their game and like, lock down half the country and it was i mean china did yeah but in the meantime they they did what i mean i would consider i'm not a, i'm not a foreign policy analyst and like so my words don't have any bearing on anything so i can say stuff like this and uh and be bombastic but honestly they they began instructing their citizens in the united states to buy as, as much personal protective equipment as they could and sending it back to china that sounds like an act of war of some sort. I mean, essentially, the, the citizens of China that lived here that, had, uh, that were sending it back, I think they, at, at that point, they're essentially acting as agents of the state. And that's, that's an attack on American healthcare workers. I mean, there's just a lot of things that China did that I think are, uh, are, are hugely problematic from a geopolitical standpoint. And I just think that at this point, we're essentially at war with them. And I think this virus is revealing that. I think that, that's, I think that we've been in a sort of pseudo-war for a very long time with China, which is weird to me in the way that, like, you know, let's say we have, like, a left-wing media in the United States that attacks Donald Trump every, you know, every day, and then comes election season. And what does he do? He advertises on them. He sends them big checks, basically fueling uh, his, the next round of attacks on him, right? In the same way, I mean, China's always been kind of our enemy, and yet we still send them all of this money every year for all of the stuff they produce. And more recently, I mean, a lot of the stuff, a lot of, a lot of the tensions against China happened when they basically refused to start taking back, uh, or to, 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 they refused to take back a lot of the recycling. It used to be that you would send out these ships filled with stuff, and then we would put a lot of the trash back onto the ships, and it would go back, the containers would go back to China, and they would deal with the, the trash itself. Well, now China's refusing to take that. So that, that's a lot of the, the beginnings of the tensions here in the United States and abroad, actually. I think the UK is suffering a lot from the fact that China won't take back the trash and a lot of other countries as well. Like China's always kind of been responsible for dealing with the refuse of our consumerism. And, you know, 
that's you can you can think what you want about it, but to suddenly turn that off, that spigot off and force countries with no infrastructure for dealing with that trash um, is is a big part of like the tensions that you know we see today geopolitically. But apart from that, like that's you know we have uh, in the U.S. we have sort of the tariff stuff, the trade war that's kind of been going on, and I I, I could see it escalating if, if if a few chips fall into place and actually becoming a hot war, which none of us want because China's you know nuked to the brim. Well, wouldn't this kind of finger pointing also be fuel towards a hot war? Well, the question is whether we're already in one or not, right? Like, if China views, uh, like, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of issues that have been happening with like a lot of the production that's coming out of China, like faulty masks and faulty temperature readers, faulty all sorts of things. China is the biggest mass producer of items on the planet. They make millions of iPhones a year and they do it without having a lot of error. Um, you know, in a, in a giant mass production facility, you might have, you know, maybe 2% errors or something like that. It's going to be very low, but now we we're getting these like objects from them that are essential in the fight against this virus. And they come with to us with like a 30% error rate or some, you know, 15% even. And to me, I, I, I see that. And I think to myself, like some of this feels very on purpose. And if if it is on purpose, then I'm sorry, we're at war. What's up with uh, my pillow? <laughs> <laughs> Shift of gears. So uh, Donald Trump uh, and the president. I mean, like, look, I, I don't really care that much about Donald Trump. I don't think like very highly of him. He's just the president. The president is whatever he is. But I do think that like. I, I have gained a distaste for like the abreaction and that's a word I'm using a lot here because it describes perfectly what's happening. I, I, I hate the abreaction of people to uh, anybody political, this sort of like he said it, therefore the opposite, right? Like if Donald Trump said, um, you know, 10 people die in America every day, you know, the media would probably report, no, we've been rising people from the dead at a rate of 10 a day. Like, it's just an ab reaction. It's just literally whatever he says, we say and do the opposite. So the other, he's been doing these like every night, he's been doing sort of an update on what the federal government's position is in this uh, battle against the virus. And the the reactions of the media have been utterly disgusting. And the other day, uh, he had a guy who's actually a fellow Minnesotan. I was, uh, I, I was raised in a place called Shakopee, Minnesota. It's a little town in Minnesota. And uh, one of one of my fellow Minnesotans was asked to speak at this event the other day at one of his press conferences. Uh, he makes a product called My Pillow, and these pillows are shit. If you've ever felt them, they're like they're like just light soft foam. I, I've realized that like fifty percent of people think they're just absolute horseshit, and fifty percent of people are like, "It's the only pillow I use." What do you mean? I love this thing. So they they're like the PT Cruiser of pillows. If if you understand what a PT if you know what a PT Cruiser is. It was a disgustingly ugly American car that 50% of the people thought was like the ugliest thing they'd ever seen. And 50% of people were like, it's the only car I'll ever, I'll ever buy. I hope they make these forever. Um, so the, 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 my pillow seems like the PT cruiser of pillows, but he went on TV and he said that he was shifting his factory from making pillows over to making masks, at least for the time being. And I think that's like very, very notable um, as a business owner. I think that it's a, a big decision to take the take focus from your primary sort of risk model and shift it to something else, particularly in a time of emergency, 
and uh, you know it's hard it's hard to argue that they're doing it for any other reason than for the sake of the com- the country. They're not necessarily. I mean, I'm sure they're going to make some profits, but I don't think they're highly profitable. Otherwise, they'd be in the mask business. They would have done that a long time ago. So I think it's very. Well, noble. there's a lot more demand for masks now. There is it a could, lot. It more could demand. be way more profitable now, of course. It could be in the short term, but like you know, maybe maybe my pillow masks will become a thing in the future. But I just doubt it. You know, they have only so much capacity, and they only have so many uh, factories, and they're at the moment. I'm sure they're just trying to find a way to keep their their workers working. But he's shifting the the focus of his factories over from uh, pillows to masks. And I think that that's an excellent thing. I'm very, very happy that we live in a country with sort of the entrepreneurial spirit and uh, these factories that are owned by individuals like you and me. They're not owned by like 30 people. They're owned by like one dude, you know, and he built it up by himself, this company that he has, and he he has a bunch of factories and he's going to change the focus of his company overnight to do this thing that's good. That's good for us. Well, he's a former drug drug addict, and he's got a, kind of a shady history, but became like a saved Christian at some point in his life. So he went on TV, and he read a Bible verse and said some Jesus things. And what happened is they started ma- – the left literally started making fun of him and calling him names and, uh, you know, like in the middle of like even an opioid ac- ac- uh, epidemic in the United States – are they making are, fun because of the Bible verses, or what's the reason for making fun? There are all sorts of reasons. Part of it being, you know, a former drug dealer, yeah, you know, or a drug addict, you know, and stuff like that. They're just making fun of him, and they're 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 uh, they're they're calling Donald Trump names for the you know having him do these things. And again, don't care. But like he he's doing a good thing. I think that it's something that's honorable. But also, you know what? He's from my state. We have a lot of state pride in America. And, uh, and he's, he's literally building these things in my city, Shakopee. When I, when I was a kid, it had 13,000 people. Um, since then, it's ballooned to maybe 40 or 50,000. And all of that ballooning happened because Amazon built a facility there and my pillow built a facility there and they, they hire a ton of people. So I, I, you know, I said, fuck it, uh, go screw yourselves. I'm doing, I'm, I'm at this point resolved. If, he, if there's an ab reaction to anything, I'm doing the opposite. I'm just going to, like, go do the thing that they're angry about. So, like, screw it. I went and I bought a bunch of pillows. Isn't, and, that, isn't that the same thing that happened with Chick-fil-A? Uh, yeah, that is. Sounds, it, it, it sounds similar. Yeah. I don't know if other people did it, but I did it. I went, I went there. I called them up, and I said, I want to buy uh, two of your crappy pillows. And the lady's like, are you making fun of us? I was like, no, I think they're crap, but I want to buy them to support what you guys are doing. <laughs> I was very honest. They were pretty expensive as well for pillows, or not? People love these things. I mm. I am astounded. They are they are shit. I when I get one, I'll confirm how shit they are to you. But they are shit. <laughs> like yeah. they're awful. All right. I I was just scrolling for your tweets for for topics. I saw you tweet something about um uh, whether or not this virus is lab created. I think you tweeted about that, right? Everyone's talking about the lab created uh, oh, possibility. What do you think? Uh, it's it, it's hard because like if you if you say you think it's lab created, then you're a conspiracist. Uh, but and, and and it's hard, I think, also to create uh, such a perfect virus. Like it it just is. Uh, it, it, virus creation in a lab wouldn't look wouldn't look like you know making a machine. 
right? It's not, it's not like you, it's not like you stick a thing here and you put an arm on it and like it does these, you know, so nature has a way of uh, creating pretty incredible viruses um, through, you know, natural means. But you know what there, I don't think, I don't think that it's off the table. I really don't think it's a conspiracy, a conspiratorial belief that it could have been created in a lab. And there's a lot of ways it could have been like, there's, there are reports coming out that uh, the scientists in the Wuhan lab were taking lab animals and selling them in the wet markets. I mean, that's on Breitbart, so maybe that's a conspiracy. I don't know. But it doesn't seem unreasonable to me that in like a weird communist system in a lab where, uh, that has been highly criticized for lacking controls, um, that, that could easily be something that's actually happening. And uh, I also don't, I mean, even maybe it wasn't lab created, maybe it was found in the wild in a bat, but it was replicated many times in a lab and they were testing many, many uh, animals with it just to see, you know, there's, there's rumors that it was possibly uh, being tested as a, uh, as a inoculation for, uh, for SARS, right? So, I mean, there's plenty of possibilities, some that are not so far-fetched, you know, I don't see why it's any more far-fetched that this comes from nature than it comes from nature and was being studied in a lab and the lab animals were being sold in the wet market uh, by people looking for, you know, like an individual looking for extra money. It's not, I mean, like, it's not that, consp it doesn't take a conspiracy. It takes one unscrupulous asshole from China to, to, to do something stupid that would have gotten this, uh, you know, caused this to get out. So I don't think it's I don't think that it's a, a low possibility. I, I I just don't think that like we're gonna know for certain for a very long time. Um, if we do know, and we find out that again, like I go back to those faulty equipment that China is using, this as an opportunity to basically like kill Americans through sending faulty equipment. I mean, then fuck China, fuck them so hard. That's that's a takeaway you want uh, you want listeners to remember, right? Fuck China. <laughs> Fuck China. Did you want to discuss something about the digital digital dollar? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So America's doing a lot. Like, the left is doing some real interesting things. I don't, I don't know if it's actually the left. The, the, I mean, it's funny because for years with Bitcoin, I've, I've avoided a lot of the political stuff. I have really been fairly disinterested in politics my whole life until uh, the First Amendment uh, and Second Amendment stuff came up in the U.S. And, like, we've seen huge amounts of protest just against the ability to speak freely and the, uh, the war on YouTube and Facebook of like banning people. I don't think anybody should be banned ever unless like law enforcement or there's like a court order that says they have to be taken off a platform. That is, that is my simple position. I think that's always been my position and it's astounding to me that people have any other position because these things have been working fine and it's, it's not like you're reducing, uh, you know, let's say like Russian propaganda on the platform by removing a conservative in Minnesota. I don't see how that works. But apart from that, well, like, now, you know, a lot of this political stuff is very interesting and particularly where it intersects with thing, you know, my interests like Bitcoin. So we're talking a lot about like digital dollars mm -hmm. and uh, there's a desire to create a, a bank account uh, essentially at the Fed, which if you go back, if you go back even further in my tweets, you'll see, uh, I said, if, if the United States proposes digital dollars, essentially like this, this distribution of money to Americans amidst this coronavirus, I said uh, very clearly, probably two weeks before they proposed it, um, I said, this is going to lead to bank accounts at the Fed. And then you know, there's a document that comes out that says they're talking about bank accounts at the Fed. Well, yeah, it's obvious. I mean, the, the bank accounts at the Fed is a, is a sort of a wet dream 
of a lot of these monetarists now. Uh, they love the idea of bank accounts at the Fed. And it seems like a really good idea. Like, I mean, I think there was a time in my economic career, and uh, by career, I mean equivocating as an armchair economist, um, where I would have told you that uh, accounts at the Fed are a really good idea. And I think, I think my position now is that uh, there's enough pressure in banking to be unscrupulous. I can't imagine what would happen when you take, uh, take competitive pressures out of that and, and just give it to a bunch of bureaucrats and then ask them to be scrupulous. Yeah, the scrupulosity well, is going to just fall away. So just to be clear, for those that don't know, bank accounts at the Fed, so this digital dollar basically means you have a digital equivalent of cash money, right? Yeah. Right. Which is also base money, which, you know, banks have like accounts at the Fed and this would mean that individuals can have that as well. Yeah. And I think that that's a big problem. Like it would be base money. You couldn't get cash. It would be the end of cash. And I think that Americans don't quite realize this. I realize this because of Bitcoin, right? Like you realize this because of Bitcoin. But the end of cash is the end of freedom. It's, that's it. Why would it mean the end of cash? Couldn't you have both? Yeah, I mean, we do have both kind of right now, but the goal, the, the ultimate goal is to get rid of it, to make it very inconvenient not to have it. Like you could have both, but then what happens when you go to a bank and they're like, yeah, we'll take your deposit, but do you have a bank account at the Fed? You need one in order to like, in order to deposit this cash and, uh, and then we'll convert it and you can't get it back as cash or something like that. You know, like um, it's, it's a step removed from utterly getting rid of cash. Why wouldn't you just get rid of cash once you have a very convenient interconnected system uh, where people can just use their smartphone or whatever to just transmit dollars. So, so and what is your concern exactly? That's these bureaucrats or the, the feds basically can manipulate the money supply even easier? Or? Even, no, not at all. I, I don't think there's any difference in ease of manipulating the money supply. There is, there is a difference in anonymity and cash provides anonymity. It's, it is essentially a bearer instrument. And there was an attack on bearer instruments in the 90s. We essentially made them illegal. And that's, that's one thing. I mean, maybe, maybe that's fine. I don't know. Um, bearer instruments are hard to control, right? Like you can move them over borders. You can do all sorts of things with them. Um, but they're, they're hard to control. And, uh, and cash is a bearer instrument of sorts, right? Like if I steal $10 bills from you, um, I have that money. You don't. I go spend it. Like in order for you to get it back, you literally would have to like chase down the people I spent it at and tell them that's your money, right? And they, then you have to hope they give it to you. That's gone. So if you have a bank account, if you, or if you have a bank note, that is yours to spend. And the anonymity is a feature that is a, it's a feature of freedom. There is an importance to anonymity and freedom and it's, it's shit. It is, anonymity is a, is a double-edged sword in that it is, it is used by good people and it is used by unscrupulous people. And that's the, that is the risk you accept for freedom. You accept that there are evil people who use the things that you use. There are evil people who have Nike shoes. There are evil people who have telephone numbers. You know, the evil, evil people don't not use the things that you use. And, uh, and you know, like it's it, anonymity is what allows them to operate. It's also what allows you to remain a sovereign citizen in a, in a country that values sovereignty of the individual. And that, that's a, a fundamental U.S. trait. I would say it's as important as, you know, uh, our adherence to freedom of speech, our adherence to the right to uh, arm oneself, which is fairly unique in any country. And 
I think the right to at least be anonymous is probably somewhat ingrained there. I mean, we have it somewhat. I mean, like we have rights to privacy, right? And there is no right to privacy without some sort of anonymity. And cash is sort of the ultimate de-anonymization resource. Like if you can know everything that's happening with cash, you know everything. So how concrete are these plans right now? I don't know. We'll see. I mean, like, I hope if they vote on it, I, I think that that's, that's the end of freedom in the U.S. Is there going to be a vote on it? Like, what what well, step of the process are we talking about here? Actually, I, 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 thought, I thought it was getting stuffed into the previous bill. Um, it looks like it's not. So maybe at some point here it'll get stuffed into a bill. Uh, we call that pork. Um, maybe it'll be a rider. Uh, maybe that'll be somehow how they decide to distribute these funds because it is easier. But yeah, like it is, it is a problem. And the problem is that once, they, once the Fed realizes that they have uh, the ability, I mean, they, they have the ability, but once they realize that this is something they can do, um, once they have that kind of freedom, I mean, it's a dream. They, they will love that. They will lobby for that forever. Uh, and, you know, I mean, in some senses, you know, uh, the, the strategic goal of some to deal with like these you know, the so-called unbanked is solved by that, right? Because once you have, you know, bank accounts at the Fed, you probably have the ability to turn, you know, the United States Postal Service into bank branches or something of that sort. So, you know, you're going to have accounts at the Fed, USPS bank branches, if you will, and, uh, and the, they will, you know, service the unbanked. Well, what does that mean? Well, the reason that the underbanked exist and the unbanked exist is because they're more costly for banks to service than they are profitable, all right? And it's not a tragedy, it's just a reality. Those are, there are people that are too expensive to bank for various reasons. So what's gonna happen is the, the Fed is gonna bank those people uh, eventually, that's, that's the slippery slope I see, and we will pay for it. It will be a tax burden on me, um, in addition to being surveilled at all times. So what do you think, because you mentioned this would be a dream for these people, uh, we still have Bitcoin, at least right now. So in that, even if they would introduce this, people could still, you know, pay each other anonymously with Bitcoin. Or do you think the next step would be to try to ban Bitcoin or is this something you could see happen? Well, I could see obfuscation of movement of funds being... Uh, something that is deemed illegal or in itself, you know, in the way that like structuring is a crime, uh, that obfuscation of the movement of funds would possibly be its own tacit crime, just because if you're doing anonymous transactions and you're probably a drug dealer, yeah. right? Just the way that if you're holding 10,000 in cash, you're probably a drug dealer. Um, but, you know, there's not, there's, there's no exceptions for people. Like, let's say you're a international athlete, you have to get your uh, basketball money out of Estonia, like it's going to be difficult for you to do that. And in fact, a lot of those players end up getting hit with structuring violations and have to go through giant audits. So, I mean, there's people, there are reasons to have more than 10K in cash. Maybe usually it's that you're a drug dealer. Uh, maybe sometimes it's that you're an international athlete, but like there are reasons. And just like there are reasons for me to want to do anonymous transactions. And they're not necessarily that I'm buying drugs. Yeah, we're, we're kind of already in that world, aren't we? With the money laundering laws, you just got to apply them on all transactions in that we're case. We're awful close. What's that? We're, yeah, I mean, yeah, we're, we're awful close to the world where like everything is de-anonymized 
and I don't like it. I mean, I, I, I do think that it's important to have anonymity. I mean, like this, I, I think that implicit in this notion of having the ability to have guns is essentially having the ability to not be on a list of people who have guns. Right. So if, if that's the case, um, how are you going to obfuscate that by, you know, through a system like this, when the government knows that you buy, you know, uh, 500, you spend $500 a year at a gun store, you know, something like that. Or maybe they even get the receipts. I don't know. But it seems to me that there is some sort of like, there are some tacit rights that we have that are just kind of stripped away when you de-anonymize things and get rid of anonymity. And I have yeah. a big problem. Yeah. Do you think this could speed up in, this, in, this, in a crisis like this? Because that, that's what we're seeing happen in some countries as well. We're seeing GPS cool. tracking and... These kinds of yeah, things. The goal of most politicians is to speed it up. They they love the idea of this. Like, they want they want it to go fast. Uh, this is their opportunity to grab a little bit of power. I mean, I think that most Americans and I think most people generally are okay with giving up a little bit of freedom, in order to make sure that everybody and everything and each other are safe. But I don't think that they're gonna like ceding uh, that freedom uh, after this pandemic is gone. Yeah. All right, Luke. It's getting late here, John Seth. Oh, uh, <laughs> should we? Is there anything else we should discuss before we uh, make an end to this? I, I think that's the most things. That's uh, it, you're doing it. You're doing like a thirty-minute format. Is that what it is, or a short podcast? Yeah, kind of. And we're already longer than that. Yeah, we are. Which yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not strict about thirty minutes or anything. No, you're good, Aaron. This is a th this is a lot of fun. I enjoyed this. And, I thought uh, it was interesting. Yeah. Well, way funny. more interesting than I expected, I'll, I'll have really? to admit. <laughs> I have a lot of opinions on this in particular and uh, very little expertise. So uh, it, it, makes it, it makes it so that like, I can talk a lot and bluster and uh, maybe say nothing accurate, which is exciting. It's a good combination. Well, it's, it's a good freedom to have, and I hope that freedom never goes away. Right. All right. Cool. Um, yeah, thanks. Thanks for your time, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Talk to you later. Bye.